Hi friends, welcome to another episode of Marketing Home, Marketing You. So I woke up this morning and it was actually chilly enough to wear a sweater, yay! <laughs> the small things. So let me tell you a little something. When I first started this series, I really wanted to bring as many mentors uh, to share with our community as possible. When I first started as a property manager almost 20 years ago, I was very limited to who I learned from. Really, it was just my property manager when I was a leasing agent and then my regionals. And when we once a year get together, I'd get to learn at conferences. But over the years, as I got to expand my network, I just realized, wow, this is a huge world that is multifamily housing. And there's so many different experiences. Every individual brings a different set of experiences, especially if they're smaller management companies all the way up to huge management companies, right? Their set of skills and what they bring with them is gonna be totally different, but we can learn from all of them. So how cool is it that we live in a day and age where our mentors can come in the form of a podcast episode or a video series, and we can learn something, take it with us and grow in our careers. So today's guest, I know you're gonna get a ton of value. My guest today is president of Judwin Properties, Jerry Winograd. Now, Jerry has a lot of years experience in multifamily housing. In fact, you're gonna hear how he got his start and it's probably very different than how you and I got our start in multifamily housing. Maybe not, there's a few of you out there that probably have a similar story, but it's definitely the minority. You're gonna to wanna to hear how he chose this industry and also how this year has been impacted by all of the events that we've all been impacted and how his company has um, found some opportunities. In addition to that, my favorite part is when Jerry shares one of the things that he does vastly different than almost any other company I've heard. Don't be shocked. You guys are gonna wanna work for Jerry when you hear this. So this conversation was so much fun and I can't wait for you to learn from someone with so much experience. Jerry is a past TAA president, heavily involved in, the, in NAA, and he's even been inducted into the Houston Apartment Association Hall of Fame. So you guys were in really good hands. Are you ready for this conversation? Here we go. Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast, a show for busy multifamily and real estate professionals that want to kick butt in their careers without sacrificing their lives or their sanity. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step-by-step -step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside-the-box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box. Jerry, I'm so happy that you agreed to come on the podcast today. I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this conversation. So before we get into the nitty gritty, I'd love to know, can you talk a little bit about how you got your start in multifamily housing? Well, I was kind of lucky. I got to grow up in a family that was in multifamily. So at a very early age, I got to participate in activities and, and actually started working after school when I was 10 years old. Wow. And, and I got to do things like rekey locks back in the day when we had master keys. Uh, we made signs in our office. And so I was able to take get to work. And every summer I would I would get a different assignment. And so I get I had the great opportunity to just grow up in the business. 
That's really unique. I don't think very many people can say that they got to have their internship be every summer like that. So do you feel like that was really instrumental that you kind of learned all the little ins and outs of operations from the ground up? Well, it, I mean, it, from a very early age, I knew that I wanted to make a career out of this. Okay. Which is, which is different because most people fall into this career. <laughs> very much. And it was just something I always wanted to do. Um, and I feel very fortunate that I was able to see the different aspects of the business over the years and then kind of had free reign to choose where I wanted to go each summer and got to work my way through it. And I graduated college in 1985 on May 18th. I think May 20th, I started as an assistant manager at a property. And the 80s were kind of difficult, very difficult. And so it was really interesting to be on site in a tough neighborhood to start out my actual career you know this is strictly out of curiosity but what was it about it because really i mean anytime i do a presentation i say how many of you planned to get into this industry and i might have one hand almost everybody else just says they you know they took it as a leasing job or just fell into it so what was it about at such a young age and as you were having all these experiences that appealed to you so much about it it's hard to say, but I, I mean, I was at the office every day. And so I was with all the people in the business and I would get to you know, do work. I would sit down and visit with people and, and at, a, at a young age. And, and they would talk to me like an adult, which is <laughs> strange. And I always say my father in the summer times, he would drag me to meetings with him. And I went to college and I would meet people and I realized I knew their parents or their father or mother from meetings, but wow. not them. That's awesome. That's really strange. Awesome. Well, I, you know, I felt like I was young. I was 19 when I was the, made a property manager. And I thought to myself, are these people crazy that they're basically handing me the keys of the kingdom? And I, I can, you know, I can't even legally drink at this point. But yeah, I, I like that responsibility myself. So, so now times are a little different. What does your company, what does it look like today? Today, we're right around 3,500 units. About 1,000 of them are new suburban class A, and the remainder are B, B minus location, <clears throat> tougher neighborhoods, but properties where we've put a major investment into to bring them, to make them the nicest in the neighborhood was our goal. Okay, so are they predominantly in the Houston area? Everything's in Houston and the suburbs surrounding Houston. Okay, so let me ask you, as you've kind of grown in this business, and like you said, you were, you were around it from such a young age, was there a set of operational rules that maybe you inherited from your dad or that you've kind of like polished through the years that you kind of go by regardless of what's happening in the economy? It, it's funny, I, I found, I brought some material into the office that was our management book from 1974 and then we have another one from the 80s and the one from 74 is a little bitty binder 50 pages and the one from the 80s is probably 400 pages oh, but when you read through them both the basics are still the basics and they still are the basics today okay so are there some things that kind of like bubble to the surface when you think about operations that are like the core of the way that you guys do business sure it's about people treating people fairly working with people, you know, it, it's, it's the contact with people and, and understanding their needs and our needs. 
I love that because I think sometimes we can get away from that, you know, when we, we talk about it, but I, what, what, what drew me. And then as I got into it a little bit more is the fact that these are people's homes. And I think about all throughout life, you know, my, I have parents that are foreign nationals. So when they came here, they were, you know, entrepreneurs trying to build. So I've lived in every type of housing and I remember that even when we were living in very low income housing, the goals that my parents had for us, they were the same as people that had children in higher income. They still wanted the best life that they could provide. And that appealed to me that we would have, you know, that I could have as a property manager, an impact on somebody's home experience, whether they could afford really fancy or whether it was just the basic four walls. Right. No, you're absolutely right. It's their home. So this has been a year like, you know, no other. I'm curious to know how have you guys been affected by everything that's gone on with COVID and just all the other things that are transpiring in 2020? Well, you're, you're right. This is a year like nothing we've ever seen and hope we never see again. I keep waiting to get to 2021, but this has been quite different. Um, I was at NAA meetings in March when this COVID, we were having our legislative meetings and all the COVID issues were starting to percolate, I guess. And I remember flying home and there was all this talk about don't pay rent, what's been just COVID issues. And I, th I think that next week is when things really started shutting down. And I was a little nervous thinking, what's gonna happen? How do we deal with this? And, and I just remember the day everything they announced in the, our county, in Harris County, that things were shutting down. We had our, our team together and we just sat down and we started working through issues of what do we do? How do we deal with this? And, and we laid out a game plan that very day. And of course, we had to modify it every single day because they kept changing the rules. But basically, we on within a day, we shut down our offices and, and try to create a virtual world to live in. So I imagine that that was all hands on deck trying to, cause I, I, I'm with you. I remember the very first conversations I was having with just a few other peers in the industry and everybody was kind of a different realization of how serious this was. And like you said, it seemed like after that legislative meeting, cause I had friends going, the conversation was like, oh, there's no doubt now what's happening. Like this is a, this is a real deal and it's really gonna impact us. And I have seen that the companies that have done fairly well, despite having to make adjustments and goals, got on the ground immediately with their teams and laid out a plan, not worrying that it was going to have to change. They just said, hey, let's, let's get into action. So is that what you guys basically did is what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, within 24 hours, we had, we had laid out a plan, locked our office doors, and put protocols in place for operating uh, and for all the staff of how we're going to operate safely going forward. And it, it was quite a change. And as I said, we modified it kind of on an ongoing basis. And, and luckily being involved with TAA and NAA, I got to sit in on several phone calls and I got to hear what other people were doing. And, it, you know, a lot of us were doing very similar things that we all did on our own. But then I think we all started tweaking from hearing things that worked for one another. And I'll tell you, one of the best things we did, I was really nervous about April collections. How's that going to impact us? What, what's going to happen? And so we decided we were going to reach out 
since our offices were closed for walk-in traffic, we were going to reach out to every single resident at every property. And so we came up with four basic questions. Call and ask them how they're doing. Is everyone healthy? Just a little conversation. And at the end, kind of talk about rent. And we were a little nervous about even doing that. But we said, you know what? Let's do a test of 10 people. And the 10 phone calls were went extremely well. And so we expanded that to 50 people. And those calls went well. Then we went ahead and just went across the board and called every single resident. And the people really appreciated the communication at that point, because I think everyone was a little scared about what was going on. And we had feedback as to what we thought the rent collections would be. And, and we were letting them know if they had a problem, we wanted to work with them and we weren't going to charge late fees the next month, which we still haven't done today. Which is a whole nother story, but but I think reaching out to everyone really kind of set set a nice path to go forward. I love that that's the approach that you guys took because you know when everything was happening, it's like I know a lot of people felt that level of isolation, loneliness, and fear. And so that initiative, but I also like that you sampled. So you kind of did like a test market. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if people were going to be upset about the phone call. Yeah. But we just wanted to, to do in little pieces to see, get the feedback and really it, it worked out well. And, and we wanted to let them know that we're here and if they have a problem, call us. You know, we want to, if we keep communication, line of communication, all's good. And then really the people who've had issues that have communicated with us, we've been over backwards to help whatever way we can. And those are the things that people will remember for the long haul, for the type of, you know, resident that you really want for the long haul. You know, I know this year, like we both said, we've never, anybody has never experienced this type of year, but are there other times, you mentioned the 80s, are there other times in multifamily housing that maybe aren't exactly the same, but some of the principles or some of the things that happened prepared you for a little bit better that, than you maybe would have if you hadn't experienced them? Yeah, we've dealt with financial downturns. So I, I guess 10 years ago, we kind of dealt with that with people having issues with job loss and struggling through, through issues. And so that gave us some insight. The 80s, I don't think anything compares to the 80s as far as financial issues and hope we never see anything like that again. But in the 80s, I don't think we were prepared for it. And I don't think we really knew what we were doing as we went through it. We just kind of went to work every day and figured out what we can do. So it was similar, but very, still very different. So out of this whole time, you mentioned communicating with the residents. What other opportunities have you seen come out of this? Well, we had to learn a new way to lease apartments because we weren't really set up to do virtual shows and, and self-guided tours. So we very quickly started doing that. And we actually, we never even had the 360 camera which we very quickly bought one and went out and did 360 of all of our units and, and put all that up on the website. And what we were really amazed with, it was after about a week and then going forward. And then we looked back a month later and two months later, our leasing numbers hadn't changed. Wow. And that was really a shock because I thought our leasing was going to drop in half. Yeah, it slowed down, 
But after we got out two to three months, you would go back and look and it really compared to the previous year or previous months, it, it was on the same path. And we actually gained occupancy the first few months. That's incredible. So how did your teams, like your actual onsite teams, adapt to this new way of leasing? Like, was there a well, learning curve? There was a little bit of a learning curve. And, and this was, was the interesting thing. You know how you always have your leasing superstar. They weren't necessarily our leasing superstar going forward. The, some of the people that didn't have that, I guess the one-on-one -on -one experience is tougher for them. We're really good at just talking to people on the phone and their communication skills really elevated and they became kind of the, the leasing person. And, and we went back, we relied on them a lot to train uh, other properties. You know, we would have our own little zoom meetings and talk about what was working for them on how they were leasing, how they were communicating with this new way of, of leasing. That's so interesting because I haven't heard anybody really talk about that, but it makes sense, you know, that everybody has a different skill set. Some right. like to communicate face to face. Maybe some are not as comfortable. And now all of a sudden this is like their time to shine. Right. No, that's exactly what happened. And we were pretty happy that happened that way. <laughs> that's cool. So it just shows you kind of need a, a lot of different types of personalities to do the different work at the communities. Did you guys actually, uh, did the, were your teams working from home or were they working from the office with office shut? No, we had our, we kept our full team at our office and, and our full maintenance team on site. And we gave them just a lot of rules as to what they're allowed to do. And, and we quit doing repairs that weren't emergencies for the first month. And we were just very restrictive as to where they went. We kept track of where everyone went because eventually we did have some employees with COVID cases. We were able to go back and say they went into this apartment. We always had that data, but we were able to go back and contact the residents and say, this person has COVID. They were in your apartment on this date. So we were able to backtrack and, and feed information backwards if we needed to. So how important was communication? I know you talked about it with your residents, but communication with the teams, like how did that change from before? Well, I think we were more into on-site meetings and, and this, you know, supervisor being always being property to property and communication. We, we then immediately had set up just a series of, of Zoom calls where we would go over certain things on certain days and try to, we had it scheduled, but then if we needed something, just a one-time meeting, we would have it. So y'all stayed flexible, but made sure that it was consistent. Right. Okay. So looking back now, I mean, where have we been in this over six months? Is there anything you would have dramatically done different or wish that you had, you know, maybe been doing ahead of time that wouldn't have had to be such a learning curve? Well, we were in the process of doing some things before COVID. <laughs> Technology wise, we may be a little bit behind what a lot of other people are doing. We, but we were in the middle of switching over to a new payment portal, which puts all the payments basically out online where people never need. We had a portal, but now we have one that's much more functional. Okay. And we were just starting to switch over when COVID hit. That accelerated the, the switch over and that, that's been interesting. You know, for me, I think what's so kind of interesting is you really start to realize how quickly you can get something up and running when you need to. And right. it, 
it's like that entrepreneur spirit kicks in all of a sudden. And, you know, for both of us, we, that's, that's the world that we live in. But I think for many, like, you know, managers, they're, they're not always used to having that. Okay. We got to move quick. And I, do you feel that because you guys are in a way a, a smaller, tighter team that you had the agility to do that? No, we were, I mean, there were things we wanted to do that we were working on, but weren't quite there that all of a sudden we had it done overnight. Yeah. And, and we just, you had to do it. Otherwise you weren't going to lease and you know, yeah, had to figure out a way to get it done. It's like when you're leaving on vacation and somehow the whole list gets done. I, you know, I, I always think about that. It's like, you know, time will, or projects will fill the time allotted. So I think that has brought out a lot. So just curious, you talked about some of the teams that did really well with leasing. Any other qualities? I mean, I'm sure you kind of had your eyes and ears looking at people, how they were responding on your team. What were some of the qualities that you saw bubble up and you're like, man, I love that. You know, it was just the dedication of our teams in general. And then we just felt that they were putting putting out 110%. They knew that we were facing kind of a crisis mode. <clears throat> and while we wanted them to be safe and to do what they needed to do, we, they just took the attitude to take it to 110%. And... We, we couldn't be happier. And, and it was fun. We got to do some things for, for our teams, some different bonus programs and different fun things that we'd try to do. We just couldn't get together. That was the tough part. And it's still been the tough part. We actually had our, our I think our manager, we had a manager's event where they had something at a park last week, two wow. weeks ago. And that was the kind of their first get together type event they've had since we started. And they were used to getting together every month. So do you feel though in a way that some of this kind of these trials have brought you guys closer as a team? I, I think there's been some real positive things that have come out of it. And and as I said, from, from week two, I said, you know, we're not going to shake hands anymore and we're never going to shake hands again. It's okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay. We'll come up with something new, but I think we, and I, we took this as a learning experience. We said, okay, we're going to learn some things here that's just going to be the new way of doing business. Even if, when COVID's gone, hopefully it's gone soon, yeah. but, but we are going to learn some new things and we just need to start thinking about how do we apply this going forward permanently, not just temporary. I love that because we similarly, we've talked a lot about how even if other companies go back to doing certain things as normal, that we are taking this opportunity to, dictate a new set of rules and be okay to leave some of the old stuff that felt necessary behind. Right. And if you told some of the old experts that you're not going to stand up and shake a hand now, they'd probably roll over in their grave, you know, that, that, that <laughs> but I, I think given today's world, why do that? Absolutely. And there's still polite. Exactly. There's still ways to make people feel seen and heard and like they're validated that don't require that. And I almost feel like moving forward, that's going to almost be a sign of respect too, that you're thinking right. about them beyond just, you know, what is the norm? Um, I, I kind that's kind of a good segue. So we get a lot of advice in multifamily that, you know, sometimes I, one of the things that I always am looking for is we look sometimes to the really big management companies that set the pace or set the standard, but 
I also like to look at other outside ways of doing things. Do you ever see things that are maybe given as advice or as the standard in multifamily that you would be kind of the rebel and, and go a different route? Yeah, I mean, everyone says we're crazy, but we do not do budgets. Okay. We do budgets to turn over. Lenders require budgets. We do a budget. We turn it into the lender. We do not use them. Tell me why. I don't want the managers to sit there and, and I know it's supposed to be a guide, but they just get, they seem to get the attitude, well, I can't spend that money. You say, well, just ask for approval. Then they get the attitude, I don't want to ask for approval. And we want, our goal is the capital expenses we handle from our side of the office. So they don't have to deal with that. We have people that just deal with capital and they do that for capital repairs. For their job, one, take care of the residents, keep everyone happy, fix things that are broken, and make every unit ready. Always have units ready. Never put off getting a unit ready. And we just want, every, for when people walk in, you know, if, if you say, gee, I shouldn't spend that extra $1,000 on carpet this month so I can stay within my budget, what if someone walks in next week that needs to move in tomorrow? And that apartment isn't ready because you didn't put in that carpet. How are you going to rent the apartment? So would you say, I mean, I'm hearing that and it's like you're empowering your teams to really think like the owner thinks, not necessarily just like someone that's trying to meet a short-term goal. Yeah, I, it's, as I said, this is a long-term business and I'm not looking at it quarter by quarter that we have to meet this, this penny of revenue. I'm looking at it over the next 20 years. This is what I want to do. We're long-term holders. Yeah. And, and just <clears throat> if we spend a thousand dollars this month as opposed to next month it doesn't matter not in the big picture not in the big picture and to some extent it might help us collect another month's rent yeah absolutely well right before we started i told you that the very first time i heard you speak on a panel you were speaking next to our mutual friend mark hurley and even though y'all didn't completely 100 percent agree on everything there was three of you guys we, I left there and I was like, I, cause now I remember you were also talking about when you um, were doing some renovations and you were building different uh, communities and how you, you did like bulk renovations across to where the floor plans, there was so much of the same materials. And so the maintenance knew how to do the same things because they could, they were cross-trained and everything was the same. And I remember leaving there and, and nudging Lauren, my business partner and saying, I love the way uh, Jerry thinks. I just love his philosophy and I love that it's different. And I think that's what I want to encourage property managers, owners, that we don't have to always do it like the giants in our industries. What might work for, say, a gray star doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Right. I mean, if you were a really large company, I don't think you could operate without a budget. Exactly. And, and I don't think whoever, you know, if you're doing fee management, I don't think you could work without a budget because I think the owner's going to demand it. So we have the flexibility, not being in fee management, of kind of controlling our destiny to that extent. I would love to do half the things Mark Hurley does. I can't. He, right. he's, it's amazing what he does. And, uh, you know, it's, I love sitting down and visiting with him about how he does things because I learn stuff every time we visit. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Well, these are the kind of conversations to me. The reason I started the podcast is because I thought when I was a manager, I just didn't have access to the mentors that I wanted. I'd go to conferences when I could afford to, but knowing that so many people can't afford to do that and now we're limited, 
it's like you can get mentors in different ways. And I view these conversations like this has been a coaching in a sense for me. And I hope it is also for those that listen. So let me ask you one more question before we get to my last question. I'm curious because I've heard from so many property managers and on-site teams that they are starting to kind of feel that um, it's like wearing thin that continuing on during this time that's gone on longer than we've thought. Have you seen that impact the teams or they're just getting worn down and what are you guys doing to combat that? I mean, I think we're all wearing a little thin and, and we're trying to, we're trying to work with, you know, to come up with different ways, some different things to add a little more excitement back in yeah. the day-to-day -day operation. And I think they see that. I mean, we've, we haven't had our annual function, um, which that's usually a lot of fun for everybody. And, and we keep trying to figure out different ways of doing things until we can get back together. And, and it, it really is tough, but I, I give our teams credit. They, they still, I think everyone still has a really good attitude. They know we're, they know we're all trying and, and I think that's important. I think that's the key. I think that for some it's that, you know, not pretending like everything is hunky dory all the time. We're all balancing personal fears, personal stresses, things at home, and then our jobs as well. So I think just the validation, like you said, acknowledging that, hey, this is tough and we're all hanging in here together as a team. And actually, we're, this is the time of year where we, we always do year in reviews about this time of year. Instead of doing budgets, we do year in reviews a little early. And we usually go through a pretty extensive year in review. And I said, you know what? This year is just different. Let's just write this year to some extent, write it off. Instead of doing this very extensive review, let's go to a basic review this year. And still review and meet with everyone. Managers will still meet with their staff, but let's consolidate it, condense it, make it simpler. Yeah. And not so, it's just a different year. It's like a little bit of conserving of the mental bandwidth. Like it's just right. you don't have the same energy level. Right. I don't, let's not focus on that. That I, I call it, it could be a, a lot of brain work. Let's yeah. focus on still taking care of the property, the residents and, and doing what we can. And let's soften up on this review process. Next year, we'll hopefully get to do a normal review. I think that's great. We've all had to adapt. You know, we, Lauren and I went the same way. We, you know, at the beginning, we were working crazy hours, our whole team, and we have a much smaller team than you do across your communities. But we came together and we decided, we just started, we did started this at Q3. Um, we started offering a little bit of flex time where the team was still getting paid. They didn't have to tell their families that they had a little bit of this flex time. And it was time that they could literally use if they wanted to go sit in the car and just put on music and not think about anything or go for, you know, a long walk. And we figured it out how to do it for all of our teams. So we have a lot of contract and we also have a lot of part-time and full-time and just the feedback, you know, we kind of talk like, can we still do fulfillment? Will we be able, but everybody said that mental, just that little mental break that is unaccounted for time that they're not worrying about having to make up the money or the time almost like what you said, all the team is coming together so that it doesn't fall heavy on one person and then everybody's getting the break that they need. So that was one thing we did and it's been working really well. So the one thing we picked up on the last month is we have a lot of employees that haven't used any of their PTO this year. Oh yeah. And so we were 
looking at it. And so we went back and said, why haven't y'all used your PTO? And they basically all said, we're afraid if we get COVID, we want to be able to have access to the PTO time. And we're like, use your PTO. If, if something happens, we'll be flexible. But use between now and the end of the year, use your PTO. And it, I mean, it was, I like the way they were thinking about it, but it's going to cause a burden if they don't use it up. So. I think that's though the marker of a good team because ours was the same way. I said, nobody's been taking any time and they said right. they didn't want to leave anybody, you know, behind or they didn't want to in case they needed it. And so I, I love that. Jerry, I knew this was going to be a really fun conversation. I have one last question for you that I like to ask everyone that comes on. And it's more about kind of the, the total of your work, your life. What is one word, or it could be two words, but one or two words that when people think of Jerry, what do you want them to think of and maybe why? I, I would say fairness. I, I mean, it's kind of our goal. We want to be fair with all of our team members. We want to be fair with all of our residents. And we bend over backwards to be fair. And, and sometimes we get the short end of the stick by doing so. But at the end of the day, I know we did the right thing. And, and I want people to just feel like we, we've tried to do what, what the right thing to do is. I've never had anybody say fair. And I think in a world that feels very unfair a lot of the time, I feel like that is an awesome standard to try to hit. So I love that. This has been so much fun for me and I hope we can do it again sometime. Well, thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed visiting with you. It's always, always a pleasure.